Hello, friends, and welcome to Comedy Anatomy. I'm Masavia Greer. And I'm Mike George. And today we have a very special guest, comedian, writer, actor, and sandwich maker, Joe DeRosa. Joe DeRosa is a hilarious comic who has numerous stand-up albums, including You Let Me Down and I Go to Atlanta All the Time. You might have seen him on Comedy Central Presents Straight Up Stand Up, HBO's Crashing, and The Louis C.K. Show. Now, please enjoy our conversation with Joe DeRosa. Joe DeRosa. Thank you for coming, man. It's uh, it's uh, honor to see you and uh, have you on, man. Thanks, um, buddy. It's great to see you, man. And um, how you been doing, man? I mean, through this whole like club closing down and just great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I look, man. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I say what probably most people say right now, which is, hey, it could be a lot worse. Uh, you know, considering what a lot of people are going through. Um, you know, I, 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 I shouldn't complain. Um, that said, everybody's kind of in their own situation with this. So it's, you know, it's hard not to recognize your, your own situation as the immediate, uh, reality, uh, you know, that you're in and it's, it's a little, it gets a little down, man. You know, it's, yes. it's, it's, um, it's tough, you, man. You live um, near, uh, Stan, right? Is that, that, that right, Joe? I'm at the. I'm actually at the stand right now because we've been doing the sandwich pop-up shop here, which has been a lot of fun. Um, but I'm not too far from this, the club itself. I, I mean, I wouldn't say I live near it, but I could. I could walk to it if I didn't feel lazy. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I, I live in New York. Yeah, I'm downtown in New York, and um, I love New York, man. I love it. I was in LA for six years, and uh, you know, I got some good stuff done out there. And I made um, some, I made a lot of great friends. And then I made about th three real friends. Because <laughs> that's how LA goes. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I got a lot of friends out here. There's a huge difference between life in LA and New York for you. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I actually, I, some nice things happened to me out there. But uh, the best thing that happened to me, I feel like in LA was, was, the, was the realization of how much I truly loved the East Coast and, and, and wanted to be back here full time. And so when I came back to New York, which I had left in a little bit of a huff, ready for a big change to go out to LA and to start writing for television and things like that. Uh, so when I came back to New York, I appreciated it in a whole new way that I never, that I, I, don't, I don't wanna say that I never had before, but that I hadn't in a long time and just in, in, just in, a, in a very, a uh, new perspective on everything, so. Do you think that's, uh, the grass was greener before, you know, and now you did it and you understand what it is in LA? Um, I, I mean, I had a good time, man. I, I, you know, LA, New York, my first 10 years in comedy were spent between Philadelphia and New York and um, uh, mostly in New York though. And, and it was really 10 or 12 years, whatever it was of, of truly just gritty, gritty grinding. I had already gotten fired from my last job that I'd ever had in my life, my last real job. I'd been fired from it and I was putting everything into comedy. So stand up, I was doing dinner theater at the time. Anything I could do that, that seemed like a viable <clears throat> uh, entertainment related adventure that, or, or it's not adventure, venture, excuse me, that could move me forward Potentially, I, I, I would do it. I didn't give a fuck what it was. 
Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was saying to Mo before we got on the call with you, because I, you know, obviously watched a lot of your stuff and was like, you seem like, and I mean this in the best way, but like you're a hustler, like you, 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 you don't wait for opportunities to come to you. You don't sit on your hands. Like you'll create shit. You know what I mean? Like you, it sounds like you've done that from the beginning. Someone who doesn't go, well, uh, someone's, my phone will ring eventually. I'll wait here. You take the, you know, even now, like not to jump ahead, but now you're doing a sandwich shop uh, uh, pop-up in the middle of COVID because, you know, it's hard to be in a club. That's pretty, it's pretty, it's inventive. You know what I mean? It's like, thanks. Thanks. (laughs) No, thank you. Um, Well, you know, man, I appreciate you saying that. That's nice to hear. Um, It's, look, one of the people I always admired most in this business was Whoopi Goldberg because I felt like, if you look at when Whoopi Goldberg broke, this business, this business is filthily racist now in 2020. Forget about 1981, whatever it was, whatever, I, mean, I, think, it was, I think it was around 81 when she did the one woman show and, and she really started to pop. So for, for somebody that was cut from the cloth that she was cut, doing the kind of comedy that she was doing, doing the type of performance that she was doing mm-hmm. to pop Whoa. as hard as she did. It was because it was, it was fascinating. Okay. And it was certainly something against the tide of, of what the industry would have been looking for at that time. And what I always admired about that with her was she brought the industry to her. She made so much noise right. with this one woman show. She was undeniable. I, I respect uh, John Languizamo for the same thing. You know what I mean? I respect Eric Bogosian for the same thing. You yeah, know, right. Eric Bogosian is a dude that like, you know, it's like, I'm going to go do this shit down here and, and I'll, I'll make so much noise. You guys need to come to me. So I, I, I never, or at least I haven't yet made so much noise that they came to me, but uh, I did create over the years opportunities for myself to do the things I wanted to do and found ways to do them and get them done. Not all of them. I always, thought, I always followed the model of musicians that I admired, and I never liked mainstream stuff. It just never excited me. I always liked, like the only mainstream stuff I liked were guys that were still really rebellious. So like, I loved Frank Sinatra and stuff like that, but like, but like the stuff I truly loved in music growing up was gangster rap, and uh, eventually punk rock. And, and that stuff to me was very against the grain. It was like easy ease approach was, I'm gonna start my own label and I'm gonna put out the records that they're telling me nobody's allowed to hear. Now, I always tried to have a similar approach. I never had anything that popped as hard as NWA did, right. you know, uh, <laughs> but, but it was still the same approach, you know, uh, like Bad Religion and, and the Dead Kennedys and um, these other bands that were members started their own labels and just started putting out their own stuff and said, I'm going to do a DIY. But my last few years of touring before everything shut down, I was almost exclusively doing small music venues uh, and large coffee houses, 150 seaters, 200 seaters, you know, whatever it was, because I was able to, I, I, I linked up with producers uh, that I was able to book things with directly. Right. And I was able to orchestrate the stuff I wanted to do, like versus, I just got tired of it. I was like, I, I, you hit a point where you go, not only am I tired of begging to get into, and I don't want to disparage any clubs, but like 
Why am I not only begging to get into this club that never wants to book me, but once I get into it, I've got to do four or five nights in a city I don't want to be in, in front of people I don't want to be in front of, where I'm going to have a hard time with the type of comedy I do. Like, you just get to a point where you go, why am I trying to do that? Yeah, I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. I could go take a money cut and do exactly the stuff I want to do and, really? and try to make that work. And I feel very fortunate that I've been able to do that when I want to do it. It's not always the most lucrative thing to do. Um, and it's not always the easiest thing to do, obviously. But, like, I do feel very fortunate that after 20 years in the business, I'm getting a return on the investment where I can say, you know what, man, I'm going to do this this way. And yeah. I, I can I can make a choice if I want to do it that way or not. I can, yeah, you, you, you know, know so funny man. I feel like now you know with really young kids who are coming up, it's more cl it's clear that you need to be your own, like Mo said, maybe brand or create your own your own mode of success. But coming up in the I don't know if you were in the '90s doing stuff or a little bit later, but that was not cool. It wasn't cool to try and do shit out. You, were, you, you wanted to be discovered. You wanted to go down. But mm -hmm. that's why when I was looking at your, your, the body of work you've done, I was like, you were in podcasting early. You were in web early. Like people weren't doing that stuff when you were doing it. it you know, there's a little bit of this ego resistance to trying something that's not mainstream yet. You know what I mean? And I think it's a great mindset to have where you're like, fuck it. I'm going to be more entrepreneurial. I'm going to do it my own way. You know, I like, I, I personally like to operate in that way. Like, and if you're lucky enough to get on the forefront of something before it breaks, mm -hmm. so you have a better understanding of it. So yeah. how has your mindset changed though? I mean, if it has at all in the sense of you're coming out, like, like I've, said to you from what it looks like really hustling coming up with opportunities but then even as you mentioned you know going into doing the traditional clubs and rethinking it or pivoting and going you know i'm going to create my own opportunities what were some of the highs and lows like coming out to la have you found a balance or are you still feeling like is the fire still there is it shifted uh, the you know the creative fires are still there not i gotta be honest not as much for stand-up anymore I've really kind of <clears throat> soured on it a bit um, because it's just a different entity from what it was when I started, you know, right. look, the highs, let me say the positives first, the highs to me. And I swear, I'm not just saying that because I'm sitting here on a podcast with you, Mo, but like the highs for me always were gaining the respect of my peers and gaining the respect of the people that I looked up to and I admired. So to go from a guy who was nervous to talk to you, Mo, because you were the guy in charge of the show, you know what I mean? And you were the guy that Chappelle or whoever was in the room was speaking to about not only because they knew you, but also because when do I go on stage? You know what I mean? And all that stuff to go from the guy that was nervous to talk to you or, or approach you as the, as the young comic to now sitting here with you. Cause you said, Hey dude, come on this thing with me, man. Cause I want to talk to you about comedy. Like that's the high to me. That's always going to be the high to me, you know, right. like always, 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 always. I saw Dave three weeks ago and just seeing him growing up, watching him and now being a dude that when I see him, I'm like, Dave, what's up? And he's like, the roast. 
what's up, man? You know, like, (laughs) that's wild to me. I still, that to me is still the greatest thing ever, 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 ever. Like the artists and the the creators. The community. Hey, by the way, uh, Joe, I'm not sure if it's you. Um, There's a bit of a hitting. I think it's, is there a button hitting your mic? Oh, it might be. Hold on. Yeah, sorry, man. It's just oh, that's what it is. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, it's all good. Um. Um. So, 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 so that that's the that's the high is is the respect from the How would you change the then? Like, what, you, what would you say is different now? I mean, I, it's clear on many levels, but just for people you know who want to get into comedy who are listening to this or have been in it for a while, like, how do you feel it's changed for you? <laughs> Well, look, I mean, if you're going to get into it now, you know, God bless. Like, it's like you're, you're going to get into it with the understanding of what it is now, you know? But, uh, well, what for you, though? Like, what how has shifted for you that it hasn't sort of lit you up the way it used to? Just got to a point where it transformed into um, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of things. It's a lot of things, okay? So, first of all, the industry itself in and of itself started to implode. You know, you're watching, I mean, now, now a lot of people out there that, that don't work in entertainment or follow it with a magnifying glass probably aren't aware of what's happening at these networks. But if you're even kind of adjacent to the business, you know, you, you see the implosion happening at these networks. And it's been a long time coming. Over right. the last 10 years or so, You've seen people get beheaded at these networks that were so vital to those networks. So that was the, that was sort of the beginning of it. Right. right. And with that came a big tonal shift. Um, slowly, you know, there's an erosion that happens just that just, just the waves keep hitting and things just slowly change and what they want slowly changes and what they're looking for slowly changes and what they're able to monetize slowly changes. And I think when the focus of the American culture became so obsessed with young people, like it did in the sixties, I think we're seeing a lot of the replay of the sixties right now. I always said the hipsters are the hippies, the hipsters are the hippies. It's a lot of uh, uh, grandstanding about your ethics. It's a lot of boasting about who you are. It's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, pride in your, in your, in, in your open-mindedness and all these things. But when push comes to shove, you turn into money like everybody else. I was talking to Marina Franklin, who's one of my oldest friends in the business. And, and we were talking the other day about that and just seeing certain comics that are doing a thing that's not them. And you're like, you got a lot of heat off this thing they saw you do one night. And now you're stuck doing it. And you don't want to be stuck doing it, but this is it. And you're scared that they're going to take it away from you if you don't keep doing it. So now you're stuck doing it. Right. And that happens to people. And that's, that's, it's a lot like the, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of child star paradox where it's like, mm-hmm. dude, they're swallowing you up right now, man. And you don't yeah. know. They're going to spit you out when they're done with you. And you're going to be really lost and damaged. But like, you know, man, but like, you know, the other thing, I don't want to beat the 60s things to, to death. But like, I guess ultimately what I'm getting at is, is if you look at every crazy parallel between now and the 60s, uh, Trump to Nixon, the, the social tor- turmoil in the country then to, to now, uh, the, the Vietnam War versus the Iraqi, you know, the second Middle Eastern War into uh, even the pandemic or whatever else. You know what I mean? All of it is so insanely and weirdly parallel. 
But the most prominent thing that also affected entertainment in the 60s, Frank Zappa had a great quote about this. He said, he said, everybody thinks the 60s was so good. It wasn't. Here's the only thing that was good about the 60s. In the 60s, you had a bunch of old, crusty men running the record labels. They didn't understand what music was. They didn't understand what cool was. So they didn't care. They threw whatever they could against the wall. And if it stuck, they were happy with it. Then in the late 60s, they started letting all the kids in to tell them what was hip and whatever. And the hippies and the freaks or whatever became the executives. And that's when everything became exclusionary. And that's what's happening now. The sure. monetization, no, no, in the monetization of ethical stances. You know, it was cool in the 60s to stand next to Abby Hoffman. Grant, you know, not, not everybody. Some people really were there for the cause. You know what I mean? Right, but it was. But like it also, but when the fist on the T-shirt becomes fashionable versus just about what the cause is for, that's when the problems start to, to happen. And you start to see this monetization of ethics happening. And it's happening right now. That changes things. Right. That changes what they're willing to buy. That changes what they're willing to put on TV. The real enemy of all this is, uh, I, it always comes back to the demonetization of art and, and digitizing, anything that can be digitized. So now it's all about algorithms. So truthfully, uh, the Google algorithm, the YouTube algorithm, which is the same, you know, same company, the, even the Netflix algorithm, the computer is what d makes a lot of decisions, not literally in the sense of this show or that show, but in what's popular and what's working. And I don't know if anymore the unique voice can float to the top. It, it, maybe it can, you know, like everybody that's, and that's the thing, man, everybody, everybody shits on the eighties, right? Everybody said, oh, the eighties, what an awful time. And, 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 uh, and, uh, you know, it was all about money and, and, and suits and, and conservatism and, and, and all that shit and Reagan and blah, blah. Yeah, that stuff all sucks. Sure. I don't argue with that at all. That's great for art because there's something to rebel against. Right. There's something to rebel against. When the cool kids are the ones running the show, and I'm not talking about Trump, obviously. That's not what I mean. But, but I'm saying, like, where real industry is in this country. I mean, like, we all, for some reason, try to act as if Hollywood is not the major export of the United States. It is. You know, so it's like, when the cool kids are running that industry, there's nothing to rebel against. Yeah. There's nothing to rebel against. Because when the kids are telling you don't say that, well, now it's like, well, what the, f I don't even, what the fuck are we doing, man? No, it's so it's like what happened after Nirvana broke. When Nirvana broke, it was amazing. And then you jump to th four years after Nirvana and it was the Backstreet Boys. That's how far it swung after that. You know what I mean? Right, so right. like, you know, that's a non-threatening choice. You know what I mean? But what about that part of you that wants recognition? Like that's why we go into this business. And some people say that's not the case and maybe it's not, but are you okay with stepping away from the limelight or? I mean, I'm still working in the entertainment business just in different ways, right? So I, I podcast, I still write and, uh, and, and these other things. Like, you know, I'm thinking about doing an audio book that would incorporate a lot of the stuff that would have gone maybe into my stand-up in a very different medium, you know what I mean? Uh, and with a, with a different tone, but like, but the ego part of it, no, I, I, I think like, look, uh, I'd be a liar if I sat here and said, you don't feel a little left out sometimes or, 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 you know, you don't question it, but 
I feel fortunate enough that call it stubbornness, call it ego, call it ego in the other direction, call it whatever it was. I feel fortunate that from the very beginning of my career, or not the very beginning, but very early on in my career, I somehow learned the lesson for myself of you have to take the good with the bad, you know? And I remember learning that lesson with the late night talk shows. I remember jumping through hoops with these tapes to try to get Letterman to book me, you know, or Letterman's people to book me or, or Conan or, 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 and doing the, Mo, you remember the fucking showcases at Stand Up NY, where they'd say, oh, the Tonight Show booker's coming in, and you know, we're going to put 35 people up for three minutes yeah. apiece or whatever. You know what I mean? And like, I remember jumping through those hoops, and I remember the day calling my manager and going, you know what? No. And he goes, why? I don't want to do it. And I remember saying, this is taking the good with the bad. Is that like, like you didn't want to do it? Like you got to go. You, you just, that's it. I'm not, I don't have this headache anymore. And I'm going to get a little sad when I see my friends on the show. Cause I'm going to okay, go, I wish so, I could do that, but I'm, but I'm also choosing not to do it. So that's, that's what that is. You know what I mean? So, so when you say like, you're not doing it anymore, you're like, you're referring to don't, I didn't want to go out for that. Like, I'm not going to even put myself out there. Was it demeaning? I stopped. Did it feel demeaning? Was it like- It's not demeaning. It's just, I just go, I don't fucking care about this anymore. You start to put things in perspective the older you right. get. Look, a big, part of the, a, a big part of the me stepping back from stand-up thing was just realizations of, of, about where it was headed and what I wanted to do. And, and just sitting there and saying, you know what? I've got a few choices here. Do I want to be the guy that's going to sit around and bitch about how different it is now mm -hmm. and how it's not what it used to be? No, not really. I don't want to be that guy. I want to evolve and, and, and go pursue something else. Do, do I want an NBC sitcom or a CBS sitcom? Uh, no, not really. And I'm not really cut out for it. And I've worked in that. You, you start to... I worked for CBS. I, did, I was a cast member on a sitcom very briefly over there. Uh, I've seen how ugly it gets. I, I've seen how stressful it gets. I've seen what it is. Mm -hmm. I don't want it. So you, see, you start to see these things up close and personal, slowly, and slowly but surely you start to go, I, I don't want to do that, man. That looks terrible. Like most people, like, you know, people who are bitter, and angry that whether it's changed or they weren't right for it or they didn't book it or whatever, it doesn't matter. They don't have the ability to, to pivot because it's like a brittle shell. Their identity as, is an actor or a comedian. Like, I mean, their identity is a human being. And to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to write, I'm going to, you know, you can always come back to stand up if you really want to, but I'm going to do these other things. I think people lose, I think they lose sight of what they're doing it for. You know, and, and when I step back, uh, so pandemics, shutdown started in March. My last set was on March 16th, I believe it was. I think I did, I did one set after that, one. And I did one Zoom show, that's it. And I was, and I've never in, I shouldn't say that, in, in, in the last eight years, I haven't felt happier. I can't, and I canceled shit. I don't want to sit here, because sometimes I tell people this and they go, Oh, big fucking sacrifice, man. Everything shut down. You couldn't do it anyways. No, 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 no. I canceled gigs. I had road gigs booked through the fall. I canceled them. I could have used that money. Trust me when I tell you I could have used that money. I was supposed to do a half hour uh, special for Epics that a bunch of my friends did. I, pulled, I was booked. I pulled out of it. I got shit for pulling out of it. 
I pulled out of shit, man. I was like, I don't want to do this, man. I'm not, I'm, my head's not there. I don't want to do it. It's not was right hard, right now. Was that a hard decision? I mean, I guess so. But I'm, I, look, like I said earlier, call it a bad business sense. I put my state of mind before anything. So if I don't want to do it, I'm not doing it. If it doesn't feel right, I'm not doing it, man. That's it. Like I've done, I've sacrificed enough. I've paid enough dues. I do plenty of shit I don't feel like doing because I think, well, maybe, maybe you're, it's better if you just grit your teeth and do it. I do plenty of shit like that in my career and in my regular life. Uh, and then I also do plenty of shit that I'm very happy to do. But I am well past the point of doing something because if I don't want to do it and I just didn't want to do it, it made me, the idea of it all made me so fucking uncomfortable and I just didn't feel it anymore. Right. And I was, and then, and, and, and that was the, that was the other side of the coin. It was like, I was like, let's say, take the sitcom idea out of the equation, take all these things out of the equation. What's the other side of it? And I was like, I don't want to be a road dog either. Yeah. That was all very romantic to me at one time. But the older I get, uh, the more it's funny. Jim was making fun of me when I, when I, when I was doing the show the other day, because I go, you know, I envy, I go, I envy the, uh, the poets from the forties because, you know, you read about their lives and they're like, I lived in a, I lived in France for three years and I wrote at the same bar every day. I wrote my poetry <laughs> and then it was published and now I'm a famous, you know. And Jim was like, you'd get so fucking bored with those poets. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, yeah probably. Talking about, who are you talking about, Jim who? Jim Norton. 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 Oh, I was saying it's okay. Norton. Yeah. But, and he's right. It was very funny. But like, so, so, so I, I don't in any way, I'm not, I don't fancy myself cut from that cloth in any way. But I will say that the older I get, the more I appreciate like, well, why wouldn't I want a podcast for? Because it lets me stay in the apartment that I love to stay in. And right. it lets me, you know, this is 20 years now of sacrificing relationships, peace of mind, sleeping right, eating right, going to the places that you want to go to every day and be and, and associate yourself with being around the people that you love. It's been a lot of fucking sacrifice. I'm sorry. I just don't want to. No, that's okay. It's just, you was know, it that's day? it. Yeah. Was it a day? Cause I, I had that too, where I was much younger. I was touring. I, I, you know, I was going all over the place and I literally, I, for me, I had a really bad gig. I almost got into a fist fight that I would have lost. Um, and I lost money on the gig and I came home. This is many years ago. And I'm like, I'm done. That's it. And it was that, and everyone's, you're going to miss it. And I left for like eight years and I never really fully ever came back to stand up because it was just not for me, but you know, there's a lot of regret with that. There's a lot of ego, like what could have been. There's a lot of, Oh, look at the life. This person stuck with it. I didn't, maybe I would have had what they had. And there's all this shit. You've been through that you know, you've been at it for a long, you've put your time in. Was there a day where you were like, you know what? No, I'm done. Or was it gradual? It was definitely gradual. You know what I mean? Like everybody's exhausted. Everybody's, it's not just that. It's, it's the pandemic. It's, it's, it's everything. It's a lot. It's, it's worrying about your financial status. It's worrying about your family. It's worrying about, it's so many, it's so many things. You know, I just uh, did a thing for Bennington show 
where they, they recorded comedians like 30 seconds, like, Joe, what did you miss about 2020 the most? And I, I started out by saying like, oh, you know what I missed? It was uh, the thrill of getting on the stage and grabbing the mic and the anticipation of the audience and them not knowing what I was going to say. And the, 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 the anxiety of would I remember the material? Or, and then I go, I'm just kidding, guys. Can you believe how many dildo comedians said that's what they wished missed in 2020? I was like, I was like, really? You didn't miss your family? You didn't miss your dog that you dropped at your nana's house and you said I'll be back in a week and then you couldn't go back because she was high risk. You know, you didn't miss going to bars. You didn't miss getting late. You missed going to the fucking improv to perform for a bachelorette party. You fucking losers. It's like everybody. My point is. <laughs> so much has been taken from us in this year. Everybody's stressed. No, we gotta, we gotta, Sorry, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Put up a little. Well, yeah, yeah. Gonna, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. No, no, you have something to say. I was just going to, I got a, one thing I had to get to before we left, Joe, was honestly, because I'm super impressed you're doing it as your sandwich shop. Where does this oh. come from? And, and, and how do you, are you a big, are you a big foodie? Are you, uh, were you, uh, just, I'm just a big, I'm, I'm a big, uh, I've always been a big sandwich fan. I'm East coast to my core. Uh, I love East coast style sandwiches. I'm from Philly. So like hoagies and cheesesteaks and all that sort of thing. It was just like, I just love an East coast style sandwich. And when I was out in LA for six years, I had a hard time finding the cold sandwiches I like, like the hoagie type sandwich. Cheesesteaks, actually, LA's got a pretty good cheesesteak scene. Um, but I couldn't, I had a hard time finding the cold sandwiches. And what I started to do when I craved them was I would go to a supermarket and I would kind of buy ingredients and start to have to make up my own recipes because they didn't have exactly what I was looking for. And I started to compile this list of sandwiches I was concocting. Hey, Joe, can you watch it? Like, sorry, man. Joe, just Oh, sorry, man. Sorry about that. I started to compile this uh, list of sandwiches I was, you know, had been concocting that I really liked. And then uh, I, I, after a while, I was like, you know what, man? I think these are actually good. Like, I actually am craving the sandwich, a sandwich I made up or whatever. So I would just keep doing it. And then eventually I had a list of sandwiches, a menu. And I was like, oh, man, it'd be cool to have a sandwich shop one day. But, you know, who knows? I'm a comic. I don't know. And then pandemic hit. And, uh, you know, Paul Italia, proprietor of the stand, and I have become very good friends over the years. And we were just sitting talking one day over the summer, having a couple beers on his roof. And I just mentioned very much in passing to him, like, you know, I always wanted to have a sandwich shop. man. You know? You know? And, and he was like, let's do it at the stand. Let's do it. What's the idea? And I told him the idea. Eight sandwiches, eight bucks a piece, classic, like affordable, old school, no frills, no foofy shit, nothing fancy, like classic shit, dude, for affordable prices, quality ingredients, though, man, like you're giving people something cheaper than Subway, and it's 10 times better. Wow. I feel like this is a good idea. And like, he was like, I think it is too. Let's do it at the stand. And that was it. We, we, we worked on it for a few months, getting, we started working here with Fausto, who's a great chef here on how to bake the bread. And um, wow. took us months to get the bread exactly right from scratch. Bamba, another great chef here we started working with and he makes our roast beef for us. You know, we Ooh, buy it. I love that. And make it and you know, it's, it's dope, dude. It's fun. Do you get as much, do you get enjoyment from that as much? Do you feel as much of a connection to that as you do? 100%. 
hundred percent, man. If not more, because it's so, it's, this sounds, it's a corny word to use. I'm aware. It's so much more pure. There is no interpretation. There is no artistic, uh, you know, uh, uh, I mean, there's integrity involved because you want to serve quality product. Right. It's not, this is, yeah. This is basic shit. There is no, we had a problem with uh, standards and practices or, you know, this customer got furious. It's all pretty simple shit. It's like, I have a recipe for a thing that I think is delicious. We're going to make it. We're going to give it to you. And I'm going to watch you eat it. And you seem to be enjoying it. And you have nice things to say afterward. It's like, what else could you? How's it, how's it been going? Has it been going well? Great. Great, man. People coming That's in awesome. and. Yeah, it's been fun, man. Yeah, so I hope uh, we hope to get it into its own place at some point. So we'll see, man. That's the goal, though, is to really get this as its own New York spot. I'm coming down there. Yeah, come down, man. Come through, man. Come on. I want one of those sandwiches, man. I'm a big fan. Pleasure, man. It's been. I had a great time, guys. I had a great time. Yeah, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you, guys. Yeah, and I hope to see you soon, Joe. I hope that everything. I hope so. Too, man. Yeah, come through the shop, man. We're open Wednesday to Friday, 12 to, 12 to 4, Wednesday to Friday. And uh, Oh, can I plug something else? Absolutely. Yeah, please, please. So me and, uh, me and Sal Volcano have a new podcast called Taste Buds where we debate food. Uh, and we also launched our own YouTube channel with Chris DiStefano called the No Presh Network, P-R-E-S-H, Presh, No Presh Network. Well, it's on YouTube. You can catch me and Sal's show there. You can also get Stal and Chris's show there. It's called Hey Babe. And then me and Corinne Fisher have our podcast Without a Country, which is involved in a lot more discussion like we had here today uh, on the Gas Digital Network and wherever you get your podcasts. And then me and Patrick Walsh have the We'll See You in Hell podcast where we review movies. Uh, and you can get that uh, on Patreon at patreon.com slash W-S-Y-I W-S-Y-I-H uh podcast okay that's it that's everything thanks guys you got it thank you joe by the way just want to say montreal bagel beats any any new york bagel canadian gotta say it sorry i don't know what that is i'll go look it up though we'll see (laughs) (laughs) all right right, guys all right right. thank you okay mo let them know how they can support us Make sure to subscribe to Comedy Anatomy and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Comedy Anatomy and on Twitter at Comedy underscore Anatomy.